closing time One last call for alcohol So finish your whiskey or beer Closing time You don't have to go home But you can't stay Good afternoon, I'm Callie Crossley. Today we're talking about Boston, about its reputation as a sleepy, uptight city. We're looking at what Boston needs to do to keep newly minted graduates and young professionals from moving to other cities. Our lackluster nightlife and puritanical vibe have been blamed for making this a city that can't keep young talent. Joining me to talk about this are Colin Kingsbury, a writer for Boston Magazine, and Malia Lazu, Executive Director for the Future Boston Alliance. Thank you both for joining us. Thank Great you. Great to be here. Okay, so Malia, I'm starting off with you. How would you describe Boston at this moment? <laughs> I I would use a lot of different ways to describe Boston. I would start by saying we're a championship city, and we're about to see that again with um, the Celtics continuing on to play against the Heat. Um, And we're a very bifurcated city. Um, If you're a college student, there's a lot for you to do here. And, you know, when you get pushed out of the clubs at 2 a.m. And then there's a lot of stuff for empty nesters to do. Um, So if you can afford the Boston Ballet, if you can afford Mistral, Scullers, there's great things for you to do. But in between, um, you know, someone like myself, today's my 35th birthday. Um, Happy and birthday. thank you. <laughs> and um, tonight we're going to be going, in, you know, to some place, to a restaurant in Cambridge. Um, but I would, I really wish that there was some type of lounge that I could go to where I wouldn't be cited if I did decide to shake, you know, shake my booty a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I don't do it the way I used to do it when I was 21, right? Mm. There, there's no reason for me to go to Royale um, tonight. Mm. And and I think that's what we're missing. Um, and and we're we're talking about closing time. Where you know we're talking about these different problems. But really, what I think we want to do is instead of looking at the problems turn it around and and have us come together to see what is it that we're really talking about what are we really saying that we're missing all right colin i want you to answer the same question how would you describe boston well i would say it's the best of times and the worst of times i think compared i've been here for 18 years and over that time i've seen a tremendous amount of evolution in a lot of things uh, the food and and dining scene and a lot of that has just improved enormously over that time uh, but we're still stuck in a lot of very old patterns in how we do things. And I think there's a smugness and a self-satisfied attitude that we've got it. We're a great city. And like, no, we don't need to do anything new all that much. Or we'll do a little bit around the edges. Uh, but there isn't any sense of urgency uh, that and, – uh, and there are real problems in this area. I think a lot of – I think the leadership doesn't appreciate how big a liability it is and how big it's becoming. So when you say it's a liability uh, to lose the the folk that uh, Malia was referring to, uh, why is it a liability for the city? You know, because I, I, I imagine there are people listening saying, hey, you've said we're a championship city. We, you've said this great dining and, you know, places to go. So if you people can't find a place here, go elsewhere. We're, we're not missing you. <laughs> I think the liability is that the people who are most likely to leave are the people who we need to attract to stay. Um, These are the ones who are creating the companies uh, that are bringing money here uh, and keeping and building headquarters and building great businesses here. These are the people who are doing interesting things that make this a a magnet uh, for talent and for the kind of people who are going to fill these buildings we're building in the innovation district. Uh, I think if you go to these the, to this type of person and you look at uh, like I know a lot of people in Boston who, given the oppor- given a decent opportunity, would be thrilled to move to New York, would be thrilled to move to San Francisco, uh, Austin, Texas, uh, a lot of other places like that. You go to these places and you see how many people there would love to have the opportunity to move to Boston. A lot of I think you're going to find indifference. Mm. Okay, Uh, so Malia, that is the reason for Future Boston Alliance. Uh, Would you talk about that and and what the organization is trying to do? Because you're directly aimed at the folks that that Colin says are leaving. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. We um, were started by the CEO of Carmeloop.com, which is a streetwear company. And um, I like to consider our office one of the coolest places in Boston. Um, Everyone there is, you know, streetwear, um, Kanye 
West gets his sneakers from from Karma Loop, right? It's a very cool place. And one of the things that um, Greg was getting very frustrated with is he would have talent. They would be coming out from mass art, coming out from the colleges. He would train them up, and they would be great in the fashion world. So they would be off to New York. They would be, you know, mm-hmm. off to L.A. And when he also tried to recruit talent, um, so one of his, um, you know, the, the young man who's running Plunder right now is from Oakland, California, a brother from Oakland, and was literally told, no, don't move to Boston. They shoot black men there. Mm. Um, and so when he was when he was watching the brand that, that he was sort of going up against for this city, um, he realized that, it, A, it wasn't true, right, that, that we've come a long way from Bussing and, and Charles Stewart. Um, and, you know, and as Colin was saying, we've also evolved um, with our restaurants and, and scenes like that, but that there was still a, a wet blanket feeling um if you were to the city and and that's really what motivated him so what is the future boston alliance where a hub of innovators of entrepreneurs of young professionals of interested um bostonians coming together uh where we can reduce our silos and and really talk about how we have evolved i mean 30 percent of bostonians have moved here in the past 10 years and i think if you add in both um both censuses it's 50 percent um you know somewhere around there so the 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 city that we're, we're holding on to is actually no longer the city. Ayanna Presley is the highest vote getter. Um, you know, Suzanne Lee almost beats Linehan. Um, Frank Baker, right, wins his seat, um, wins Maureen Feeney's seat. So we begin to see that that Boston has actually evolved. Um, and I think that our story um, and our brand needs to catch up. So, Colin, uh, the Boston Globe sponsored a panel discussion recently called Loosen up, Boston. I know that there's a question mark at the end of that, though, which was kind of interesting. I'd like you to get your take on the question mark. Um, and you came away frustrated, uh, or so it seemed, from what you wrote. Yes, it's a good conversation to have, but yet, you know, people just didn't seem it, it could have been more or or we're sort of trading over old ground is what I, I took from what you wrote about it. Talk about that, if you will. Yeah, the the question mark is a great point on that because I think it does – It's there's still – even now that we're talking about there still is an uncertainty like really. Uh, I think that it's great that they had the discussion and that is a sign of progress and evolution and recognition that this sort of big establishment thing uh, decided that this was worth talking about. Unfortunately, what I felt like happened at the discussion was a lot of – I felt like a lot of red herrings got trotted out. And there are a couple of things that you invariably hear about that I think people really overestimate the the importance of. Um, I think last call, uh, the 2 a.m. last call. Other than New York City, there aren't a ton of cities in the U.S. that have a last call that's much later than 2 a.m. San Francisco has a 2 a.m. last call. Um, I'm pretty sure Austin, Texas has a 2 a.m. last call. Seattle, it's either 2 or 2.30. Portland is either 2 or 2.30. Um, a lot of these are places that a lot of people would hold up as as exemplars of much better nightlife than Boston, and there's and that's not the difference. Um, right. The tea shutting down shortly after midnight is also something that you find in most of those other cities. New York is a huge outlier, and uh, so I don't think comparing to New York is necessarily very instructive on any level for these things. And that's what kind of – and then housing. Uh, you know, no one's moving to Williamsburg or the Mission District for cheaper housing. Uh, they're moving there for more cultural vitality, for more energy, for more of the things that Malia is talking about trying to get here. So, OK. So if you say these things are red herrings and that's what you hear are the issues. I mean, I made a little list of all of the, the issues that come up all the time when we when this discussion is is is, is being held. Uh, liquor licenses, taxi shortage, early closings of restaurants and bars, uh, Boston's reputation for racial bias, um, food trucks now is a new thing. And But other than food trucks, fairly new to the list, everything else is we've, we've heard about a lot. Um, yeah. So why does it, when it comes, when these things come together in Boston, <clears throat> it seems to have more than just one wet blanket impact. It seems to have like, you know, you're under a down quilt of effect here right. in Boston, whereas it might not be the same in Austin, as you say. Yeah, I th- <laughs> I think that it's there. It's less one giant thing. Um, the racial uh, segregation issue, I think, is a fairly large issue, and to, and I think Malia is right to say that it's we're kind of changing. We're really not the city that we were ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years ago, um, and we could probably be marketing a little better. I think it's. 
it's the aggregation of all those little things that when you get them all together, it's sort of if you're a nightlife entrepreneur and you're trying to do something new, you've got 19 little, you know, it's like Lilliputians, you know, tying down mm -hmm. uh, Gulliver is that you've got all these little things that get you and no one of them is unbreakable. But by the time you get all of them together, it just it results in an atmosphere of I, what can we do around here? We can't do anything. It's the death by a thousand cuts feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I, and Malia, I wanted you to take that up because one, the, the video that the Future Boston Alliance put together really sort of went right at uh, centralized government, uh, which, uh, according to your video, translates into nanny statism. Can translate, yes, <laughs> can, translate. Can, tra can translate into nanny statism where, uh, let's say, a bar owner who has to close at 2 a.m., not unusual, as Colin has said, but if you had to fight to get the liquor license and if your patrons, when they let out at 2 a.m., can't get a taxi that's uh, right. and then there's no public transportation because that's stopped, that's it right. all comes together. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, where, um, I mean, I think the people who want to talk about late nights, we're with Colin on this one. Um, you know, 2 a.m. is fine. Maybe have a couple, like I remember the loft back when I was in college. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's still something like that. I'm just too old to know about it nowadays. But um, it's not about, you know, it's, it's not about the time, right? Like, that's not what causes violence. Late night is not what causes violence. Violence is what causes violence. Um, and I think that we, we need to sort of move away from, um, you know, from these simple solutions and, and really have an honest conversation about what do we want our city to look like. Um, we at the Future Boston Alliance really believe that if you want a city that's going to be vibrant, then everyone needs to participate. A centralized structure does not allow for that. I think a great example is um, looking at what Cory Booker did in Newark. Now, that's a very strong mayor structure, right, as we saw with Sharp James, right? Yes. I mean, he, he ran it. His um, predecessor. His predecessor, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. But then you see a guy who comes in who handles his his tweets, right? Who mm. who will be out there tweeting like, oh my gosh, this road is horrible. <laughs> we have to get on it, right? He completely democratized his position. Um, and because of that, I think you're seeing the excitement and change in coming to Newark. Now, now that's a city that was, I would say, was a lot worse off than we, and they don't mm. even have economy. I mean, we, we have recession-proof economy, so mm. we're supposed to be number one, right? I mean, it's like my mother always says, you don't get credit for bringing home A's. And, and when you have MIT, and when you have Harvard, and when you have insurance, and when you have medical like yeah we we, we should be singapore-ish right like, yes. like it, it should make sense and so we we wanted to take on the 800 pound gorilla in the room um and it's not because he is the only problem right i mean we, we think essentially meaning mayor meaning meaning right meaning the administration mm -hmm. um because we we don't believe we don't believe that's true but we believe the tradition um, sometimes you can take local politics a little too far, right? Right. Sometimes you can take patronage a little too far. I mean, we all understand: hold a sign, get a job, mm -hmm. right? Vote, get chicken in the pot. Like, like we get that part. But when you know, when you need half a million dollars to open up a bar, um, and and we say bar, and people, oh, well, you need to drink more. No, you know, I mean, if you go to San Francisco, if you go to Austin, Austin's nightlife is awesome. It's not because there's a bunch of clubs, but it's because you learn about new bands. There's always live music. So people feel good. They're walking around. Mm. They're smiling at one another. Mm. Um, and that, that's really what, what we wanted to show is that um, it starts from the top. And um, if your leadership is, is closed um, and if your leadership is, um, has a very strong hold – um, on the city, then, then the city might might start feeling that way. And so, you know, we, we were coming out the gate and we really wanted to let people know, like, we want to have this conversation honestly. We we don't want to tinker around the edges that the way Colin was talking about. All right. Well, we have much more because you've uh, laid down the gauntlet, both of you, about what the issues are and uh, Lillip Lilliputian on some hand, but on the other hand, uh, big enough to bring down Gulliver, it seems. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about it. We're talking about what Boston needs to do to keep young talent from moving to other cities. Join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. How would you change the city? How does the city fail to measure up to other cities like Chicago, Atlanta, New York, San Francisco? 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Of course, you can write to our Facebook page or tweet me at Callie Crossley. We'll be back. This is the Callie Crossley Show. The conversation continues on WGBH Boston Public Radio.
This program is on WGBH thanks to you and Russell's, a family gardening tradition for over 135 years with annuals, perennials, herbs and shrubs, bird baths, statuary, pots, plus jewelry, gifts, and toys. Russell's Garden Center, Route 20, Wayland. And Grogan and Company, fine art auctioneers, assisting New England families with the sale of their fine art, antiques, silver, and jewelry since 1988. Located in historic Dedham, Massachusetts, and at groganco.com. And the growing number of WGBH sustainers who manage their contributions to public radio with the help of monthly installments and automatic renewals. Learn more about the ease of sustaining membership at WGBH.org. You know what we call a failed entrepreneur? Experienced. WGBH. It's the place to find out about the industries that Boston is known for. Part of this program hopefully can train a bunch of scientists and engineers to think like entrepreneurs, to go back and then sort of spread the word. 89.7 WGBH. Boston Public Radio. If you're looking for something that's cool and sweet and sprinkled with fun, the WGBH Fun Fest is all that with a cherry on top. Saturday, July 14th at WGBH in Brighton. It's a day hand-packed with ice-creamy goodness. Mix it up with PBS Kids characters, swirl in some rides, games, music, and more. It's enough to make you melt. Tickets will sell out, and that's a sure bet, so don't waffle. Get the whole scoop at WGBH.org slash FunFest while you still cone. Uh, sorry, can. Great question. That is a great question. And that's a great question. It's a great question. What a great question. On Fresh Air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. This afternoon at 2 here on 89.7 WGBH. All I want to do is have some We're talking about Boston, what the city needs to do to keep college grads and young professionals from moving to other cities. I'm Callie Crossley. I'm speaking with Colin Kingsbury, a writer for Boston Magazine, and Malia Lazu, executive director for the Future Boston Alliance. You can join us at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Are you aiming to leave Boston? Are you someone who just moved here? How does Boston compare to other cities? 877-301-8970, 877 877- Seven seven three zero one eighty nine seventy. 301 8970 Now, uh, before we uh, went to break, uh, Malia, you were mentioning Sydney, Australia as an example of the possibilities. And I wonder if you'd uh, just describe that, and then I'm going to take a lot of calls. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. Um, so Sydney, Australia is one of the models um, that, that we're actually looking at. Um, you know, n- a lot of cities have this problem, um, and liquor licensing is something that can, you know, very quickly become chips, right, and and, and what people can pass out to, to get favors. And so their liquor license were, was extremely expensive, and Sydney basically became a frat house. Um, and they were able to track and see people leaving Sydney for Melbourne, um, literally because young professional couples couldn't have things like date night. Um, you know, young women didn't want to go out by themselves. Um, and so a lot of people felt trapped in, in, in their own homes just because of the, the feelings in, in the bars because they all they could do was produce volume, right? That's how they were going to make money. And I think we're not that bad, but that's part of our problem. So if you have people who only have you know, three hours to drink and you release all of them at the same time and you can't get people into cabs and you can't move people – Guess what happens with drunken people, mm-hmm. right? Is um, violence. People don't act within their, you know, within their best selves. And and I think we rather than just becoming very punitive and you know and and blaming um, the folks who who are involved and blaming all of us for what a couple of people who are obviously just very angry people in general <laughs> are are doing. Um, I think it's important that we look at different models that other you know that other successful cities um, ha- have used. Okay, Craig from uh, Metro West Boston, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show, eighty nine point seven. I think a lot of the points that people have brought up have been excellent ones. But I think one of the most basic uh, levels is uh, what do we need to do to, to make the area and to make Boston a more welcoming city? We've been in the area for more than a decade, highly involved in civic organizations. We're still referred to as the new people, and what do we know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're so, right. 
I mean, if if a decade of of community involvement still has you uh, referred to as the new guys, what you know, what's what's the point? There's got to be a general feel that that makes the area more accepting. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. Uh, Colin, that's an excellent uh, point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people here who came over with the first load of bricks, <laughs> so to speak, and it's and it's it's not surprising. I think if you didn't go to college here. Uh, like for me, I was also a transplant from evil New York of all places. And it was going to college here that I then got connected with a lot of local people and slowly got adopted. Um, the I think a big part of it is that because of some of the things Malia has talked about um, and what your caller is talking about is that a lot of those people come here, they're here for a few years and they're like, oh man, this place is awful. I'm leaving. And so you don't create uh, – you don't create a dynamic that's welcoming to new people because all the new people leave. Mm. So I think all of these things, if you do these, more of the transplants will actually take root here and they'll remember their experiences and be a little more tolerant and accepting. All right. Uh, Jay from Boston, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show. Hi, how are you guys? Hi. Um, first thing I wanted to say is, you know, I think it's, I love the size of Boston. And one thing you guys was, guys were talking about is trying to keep people who create businesses here. You want to keep them in the city. Um, but for, for me, I think it's great because I, I have a small record label that I'm trying to grow. And as opposed to going to New York or L.A. or these bigger cities where, I mean, I'd be struggling just to keep rent, I feel like here it's, it's, there's more of an allowance to focus on your business and still have an affordable cost of living. And I think it might not be such a bad thing with the turnover of entrepreneurs and creators because regardless of where they end up, they got their start in Boston. Yeah, but uh, but but what if you leave after you start your thing? Then we don't get the benefit of your talent and and your business, Jay. Well, I'll always come back. I mean, just when the fact that I was able to start here, that will never change, and that's always going to play a huge role in whatever I do, wherever I go. And I think it's important to create new life for new businesses as well. I, I don't think that turnover is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a, a good thing that can spread awareness of our city and. How great it is. Okay. Well, that's one perspective, Jay. Thank you so much. Colin, you want to weigh in on that? I do. The I think one thing that comes up a lot in any of these discussions about Boston and what do we want it to be is I think a lot of people have ideas about what Boston has always been like that sometimes – and not to go after Jay too personally here, but – uh, that are not necessarily true. And we think of – and so Boston today is a population of around 600,000. If you go back to around 1950, I think, we had a population around 800,000. So Boston is a small – in that measure, we're a smaller city today than we were a long time ago. Um, and I think if you – you and there are, and if you look at a city like Detroit or Cleveland or that, they've gone from being a million to half a million. So I think the f- uh, the fight for us is uh, is not like we're never going to be in New York. I don't think Jay yeah. has to worry about us becoming you know like that. But um, but I think we do have to worry about us turning into Cleveland. Okay. Um, I want to bring Jessica Martin in. She's a research manager for the Boston Indicators Project at the Boston Foundation. Jessica, thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, The Boston Indicators Project uh, really takes a look at uh, what are the chief indicators that keep talent here, that uh, attract people to Boston. So you all are right at the center of this conversation and have been for some time. And one of the big issues is the retention of, of uh, recent college graduates. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how tough that continues to be? And that's vis-a-vis what uh, Malia has been saying and, and Colin has been saying about trying to keep talent in Boston. Well, it's interesting because when you look at what's happened over the last decade, uh, rather than what happened in the previous decade in the 90s, it looks like we've actually started to uh, increase the population, that key demographic of 20 to 34-year-olds. So from the year 2000 to 2010, over the last census, uh, that population actually grew by about 11% in Boston. And this is largely due to an increase of, it looks like, college students, graduate students. Um, the uh, Young people ages 20 to 24 grew by about 18,000 over the past decade. Um, but when we look at the 25 to 34-year-olds who are the young workforce, uh, they only grew by about 3%. So this whole group as a whole um, actually did grow faster than the city population as a whole. But again, we see a drop-off from the um, kind of undergrad, college, uh, um, and graduate school age uh, population and the young workers. Um, now that 
uh, research that's been done by the Boston Federal Reserve um, has shown that really jobs are the number one uh, reason why people stay or why people leave. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, you know, we know that Boston has done better than a lot of cities and regions around the U.S. throughout this recession. Uh, so that may have contributed to some of this, um, some of the, the population growth that we're seeing or some of the retention that seems like we may have started to see in the past decade. Um, but uh, also issues of, of just connectivity, some of the things that the callers just bro uh, brought up about um, being new versus being of the community. Those are still very important to um, young people and people of all ages coming into Boston, I and, believe. And if I may, uh, Jessica, isn't it true that uh, these days and times when, when young people understand that they're never going to be someplace for 30 years, if you are, at, you are the talented person that everybody's coming after, you can make a lifestyle choice or you can make a decision based on lifestyle. And so what I hear anyway, and what uh, I think Colin and Malia have, have underscored, is that a lot of young people who are talented say, well, you know, if I've got a struggle, I can struggle in San Francisco and be have a little bit more fun, have a little bit more uh, to offer me and take my talent there. Uh, are we not facing that as a big issue here? Oh, certainly. I mean, I think every major city is facing that as an issue, um, especially a place like Boston that does attract so much talent uh, of so many people uh, at a certain point in time. I mean, Really, very few other cities in the nation uh, attract the kind of talent that we attract of people who are between the ages of 18 and 24. Um, so certainly retention is going to be a bigger issue for someplace like Boston. Um, but, uh, you know, I, we can't necessarily tell um, there are a lot of these numbers of why people are staying or why they're leaving. We can just kind of infer based on some of the job opportunity issues, um, the housing affordability issue, which turns out to be not quite as big as, as some of the other um, uh, drivers, or, or as we might think. But mm -hmm. we do know that, um, you know, many of the talented people who do come here, especially to our very selective colleges and universities, do tend to leave. Uh, the Fed has also found that um, those at the highest, most selective colleges and universities have the highest mobility rates after graduation. Well, there's the point. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH and online at WGBH.org. We're talking about Boston and how the city needs to change to offset its reputation as a stuffy town, a town that can't hold on to young folk. I'm joined by Colin Kingsbury, a writer for Boston Magazine, Malia Lazu of the Future Boston Alliance, and Jessica Martin. She's with the Boston Foundation. You can join the conversation at 877 301 877-301-8970. You can write to our Facebook page or send us a tweet. Betty from West what? Ro West, West Roxbury, I can say it. Uh, go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show. Hi, Callie. <laughs> um, I just wanted to um, echo uh, Malia's point about the centralized government. Um, the, I just returned from, a, from traveling to Portland, Oregon, where I had lived before living in Boston, and... Um, it's just amazing how much better it seems like the city works. Um, and I just feel that Boston, um, you know, if somebody were to govern Boston, Boston that was not from Boston, that that might be a huge benefit um, mm. because we are so steeped in our traditions and, you know, this is the way it's always been kind of mentality. West Roxbury is very much known for that, I think. Um, and it, you need, you need to break the mold and it's, it feels like it's very incremental here. You know, nothing has to change quickly. Um, and they just don't have that kind of time, um, anymore. So that's, that's really my point. Um, I think, uh, just one small example is I don't think the city looks very good. Um, you know, you walk on the freedom trail, we take our relatives there and the line isn't even painted properly anymore. It's all worn out. In, in some major places. And, I mean, I think if, if some of the small things were looked at, um, just cleaning up in front of buildings. Um, Portland, Oregon is incredibly clean. There are bubblers all over the place with clean water coming out of them. Um, you know, they have a farmer's market. It, it's just as much activity, but um, it, it's just it's sparkling clean. And I don't know how they do it, but uh, I think Boston could do it, too. Betty, what drew you to Boston? Um given that you had such a great experience elsewhere? Um, well, my I grew up here, mm -hmm. not in the city, in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I returned, and, and um, you know, and I like a lot of the things about it, but um, I don't like the um, 
the, you know, I think this centralized government notion to me is is huge, is a huge part of the problem, and it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I, I, thank I, you. I, I thank you so much for the call, uh, Malia. I wanted you to pick up on that because. Uh, you know, you that's part of what the future Boston Alliance is saying. But I don't think a lot of people understand what what that means exactly. But I thought her point about if someone other <laughs> from Boston right. led the city was really quite eye-opening. Right, right. <laughs> I think whenever you get a fresh set of eyes, right, mm-hmm. different things are seen. And, and that's critically important. The other thing about um, about looking towards a more decentralized structure is that you put the onus on the residents, Right. So it's not just um, you, you can't blame them. Right. We, we you find a way to include them um, and to have them have buy in and, and people in Portland have buy in in their civic space. Um, you know, when my mother lives there um, and and when you go there, people do really have that sense of um, of a civic um, a civic feeling, you know, like the third sector, mm. um, I, I guess you could say. And and we don't necessarily ha- have that here. Um, and, and Well, the people that you want to have buy-in, though, have to hang around long enough to get exactly. to, to and, have and, buy-in. Right. And I think, um, you know, this guy who was talking about, I've been here for 10 years, and people are like, oh, you're a newcomer, mm. you know. Um, when At the Loosen Up, when, when I was on that panel at the Loosen Up Boston, um, at the Boston Public Library, this guy said, um, this guy from um, Beacon Hill said, well, I'm a, I'm a Boston resident. Now, I had just gotten jury duty that day, so I know I'm a Boston <laughs> resident. Um, and I said, well, I'm a Boston resident, too. And now, how are you different from how mm. is your residency somehow bigger or, you know, should take precedent over my residency? You know, I'm a voter. I live in Fort Hill. I live in, within the city limits. Um, and, and he and I are actually getting coffee. Next week to to talk about how to bring young people in. You know, I think we're not giving ourselves a chance um, because we're saying like, oh, well, this is how we are. We're stuck in our ways. And the fact of the matter is, is that's just not true. People want to feel good about the city they live in. And, you know, back in the 1950s and, and even before that. We were kind of a cool city. I mean, Elizabeth Gardner wasn't throwing Puritan parties, yeah. you know. She was having a good amount of fun. And, and th- you know, there was the hi-hat and there was the speakeasy scene in the 20s. And um, what other city can boast Frederick Douglass, Malcolm X, um, and Edgar Allan Poe, right? I mean, it, we, we have such a such a unique diversity here that, that we should be celebrating. Um, and I think we've, um, we're have unfortunately becoming more closed rather than more open. I want to just uh, uh, read a, uh, one line from Peter Gelzenis' column because he's pushing back on some of you guys who are speaking out saying uh, Mayor Menino and the, cent- the, cent- the centralized government is the problem. Uh, this is the last sentence of his piece in which he says, uh, too bad you people are just no match for the mayor and forget it. And furthermore, there needs to be some significant political buy-in. When this new generation of hipsters decide to stop jumping up and down long enough to haunt street corners in West Roxbury, Savin Hill, Roxbury, Charlestown, and Southie with candidate signs and nomination papers, when they flood City Hall to register to vote and go door-to-door stuffing campaign flyers into mailboxes, then and only then will they be dancing to Tom Menino's tune. So his yes. thing is, you're not involved yes. in the political process. Well, that's you know, just not true. Up. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I mean, first of all, um, you know, I, I love the, the Boston sarcasm of his piece and his very tongue in cheekness. And and I think it's it's feelings like that that reinforce, you know, why it's it's why everyone assumed that the Bruins comments were coming out of Boston. Right. It's, it's those type of feelings and, and that type of um, negativity that that I just don't prescribe to. I, I don't prescribe to it in my personal life and, and definitely not in my political life. You know, um, young people helped get the first black governor elected. They also helped get the first black president elected. Th- this idea that we're apathetic. Um, you know, politics is the only multi-billion dollar industry that blames its consumer for not buying its product. I started Mass Vote um, back in 1996. And what we found out when, you know, we, we won several redistricting lawsuits and got Tommy Finneran in trouble, right, was, was that if you ask people to participate, they will. And I think that um, that, that type of feeling that, that Peter puts in his column is just, you know, for me, it's really unfortunate. Um, and I think it's something that we, as, that we as and young people, I mean, I'm glad everyone thinks I'm a young person. Um, the young people I work with tell me all the time I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we don't prescribe to that type of, well, it's either this or that. And if you're not on it, then get, I mean, what is 
is that really? Like, is this where we are in 2012? This is how we want to interact. This is how we want our children to see the conversation. And the final thing um, I'll, I'll say about that is that if given a choice to participate or not, people will participate. And rather than just pointing the finger um, at them. I, you know, I, I want, I would love for Peter to come to Carmeloup, um, and, and, and to see what it is that we do and, and what it is that we really mean, because you can't put new wine in old skins. All right, Colin, uh, quick comment for you before we go to break. Yeah, uh, I, I, that piece really was, I thought, quite awful. Um, and I think that if we, if we look past, I'd say, you know, smart money is he's right. Um, and I looks at something like the case of Sam Yoon, who was a very promising up-and-coming new figure in politics until he ran against the mayor and pr- promptly became more radioactive than a worker at the Fukushima plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically uh, the political lock there is so bad that he had to pretty much leave town uh, to uh, you know to get a job. And I think what is the – is that good for the city? Because mm-hmm. if you look at what Peter's piece is really doing – is it's I think on a certain level celebrating uh, that kind of brass knuckles politics and you know it's fun from a sports perspective but uh, you know from the horse race aspect of it but is that really what we want to be? Okay. Um, well, I got a few other criticisms for you guys to handle when we come back. We're talking about Boston with a focus on how it compares to other cities. Does Boston offer enough to keep you here? Call us if you're planning on moving away from Boston. Call us if you've recently moved here. What's your take on the city? 877-301-8970. 877-301-8970. This is WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Funding for our programs comes from you. Anne Greenberg Traurig, an international law firm with offices in Boston and more than 30 other cities worldwide, addressing the complex legal needs of businesses from startups to public companies. Global reach, local resources. G2Law.com. And Celebrity Series of Boston. My primary concern is box office. Jack Wright, Director of Marketing and Communications. When we make GBH a part of our overall marketing plan, it's the difference between a piece of advertising in print or 60 seconds somewhere versus an entity whose existence is backing you up. To learn more, visit WGBH.org slash sponsorship. On the next Fresh Air, Wes Anderson talks about writing and directing his new film, Moonrise Kingdom, which just opened the Cannes Film Festival. He also made the movies Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Join us for the next Fresh Air. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. It's time to spring into action for the 47th Annual WGBH Spring Auction. Bid on fine jewelry, gift certificates, exciting vacations, weekend getaways, and even a brand new Toyota Prius, donated by your New England Toyota dealer. Every winning bid supports WGBH radio and television. So not only will you get a great deal, you'll feel great while you're doing it. But act fast. The spring auction ends on May 31st. Place your bids now at auction.wgbh.org. Welcome back to the Callie Crossley Show. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about Boston with a focus on how it compares to other cities, from housing to job opportunities to our nightlife. With so many college graduations underway, is Boston offering newly minted grads enough incentives to stay here? We're at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. I'm joined by Colin Kingsbury, a writer for Boston Magazine, Malia Lazu, Executive Director for the Future of Boston Alliance, and Jessica Martin, a research manager for the Boston Indicators Project at the Boston Foundation. Uh, now, one of the things that I want to hit is that uh, Mayor Menino, we've talking, been talking about this decentralized government or centralized government as the case is, uh, has really pushed innovation in the city. I want innovators. I want innovation. I want people to stay here. We've got a district. There's a lot of 
of, uh, of his talking about it, certainly, and that has to mean something coming from uh, his office. But, Colin, when you talk about innovation, you, you're particularly frustrated because you say innovation means the ability to move now, and that is not something that Boston does. Absolutely. <laughs> I, that At the Boston Globe panel, there was a great example of this. And I think the fact that the mayor recognizes this is good. Like, I, he's actually – I don't think he's as out of touch as it's sometimes painted and uh, and does recognize that these things have value. But uh, But as I think I said before and kind of comparing against what Betty was saying about Portland, there isn't a sense of urgency here. Uh, at that Globe panel – uh, one of the things that came up was talking about food trucks and uh, Randy Lathrop of the BRA had mentioned that – Boston Redevelopment Authority, go ahead. Right, mm-hmm. had mentioned that uh, the trucks being located down in the financial district at night, that Boston police had said how they liked it because people were spilling out of bars and instead of you know getting into knuckle sandwiches with each other they were going and getting barbecue from you know or things from these food trucks they said that's good it's a moderating influence and they were saying well uh one of the the woman who owns the bon meat food truck said well we're not allowed to park anywhere near bars because we're seen as competitive um and then others said that and their most trucks are only allowed to stay open until 10 uh, but we're trying we're starting to have a few open until 11 and then maybe next year we'll have some open till 12 and there was a sense of like, well, we're going to do a little here and a little there. And I'm thinking, why don't we just allow them to be open till two if there are businesses open till two in the area? Why do why do we have to move slowly? Why do we have to take one little step and one little step? Why can't we take a bigger step? Um, As other cities do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a place like Portland, they have something to prove. Um, they have to, you know, 10 years ago, nobody outside of the music scene knew who Austin, Texas was. Mm-hmm. Now they have these huge conferences going on there and they're attracting enormous attention. So these are places that feel like, like, look, we have to set ourselves apart. For good reason, Boston is pretty satisfied with ourselves. We have some amazing things here, but we get a little comfortable sometimes. And I should note with the food truck uh, trend, Boston was behind on that already to begin with because it was happening everywhere else. And if I can do a little commercial, please come to WGBH and Park. We'd be happy to have you here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'm just saying that as an indicator of of being in the moment, in the now, if you look at food trucks as a microcosm of what's happening in other cities, you know, we were even slow to get on that trend. It took forever. Uh, And and it's still, as you pointed out, some struggles. Uh, I also wanted to bring up the liquor licenses as an issue because we've we've mentioned that in passing here but I'm sure people don't know you know how that impacts folks you talked about Sydney and what they were doing I also want to talk about how that also has overlapped with Boston's reputation uh, as a place of racial bias because actually Diane Wilkerson is in jail mm-hmm. now because she was trying to negotiate a deal yep. with an African-American vendor to expedite the liquor licensing exactly. process, which a lot of folks of color are kept out of. Exactly. One law firm handles it here. It's very closed. Yep. It's and very expensive. One restaurant, right? right? Like, thank God we have Daryl's. <laughs> so, this, so this kind of stuff overlaps and people don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Have to say the same thing. Got to bring up the Cure Lounge incident. Uh, Cure Lounge was just cited for, you know, people dancing. And, you know, that seems ridiculous in this day and age that they don't have a license to allow people to dance. But I got to say, Cure Lounge could have had some other people in there if you hadn't kept out some Ivy League right. persons of color. And maybe they should have been cited for that, <laughs> not for the dancing. Well, they were. <laughs> but, I, but I'm just saying, this, so this all of this stuff overlaps and comes back to the brand that, you know, keeps getting put out there as you're talking about. Malia. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. You know, one of the big things about decentralized structures and and one of the reasons why it's, it's hard, especially for behemoths to take them on is that you have to let go. Right. You, you have to allow for emergence. You have to let street, you know, let food vendors stay open until 2 a.m. And, and see what happens. Right. Um, you, you don't start being punitive before um, and preempt, um, if you will, um, creativity and, and innovation. I mean, that, that's basically what's happening. You look at the Green Street Vault guys. I mean, here are young kids out of Emerson College starting this, um, you know, starting this fashion truck and 
Carmeloop was one of the first people to really support when they started getting attacked. Now, you would think that Carmeloop would see them as a competitor, right? They sell the same kind of clothing, mm. the same kind of sneakers. But what we knew was that we needed stuff like that to be seen as cool, right? Like, this is a great idea. Mm. Why not have a fat, a rolling fashion truck store? Because um, God knows we're not going to get a store like that in Roxbury or mm. in Mattapan mm. or in Dorchester. Mm. So why not have Derek be able to drive out to Washington Park on, on a weekend? Um, you know, and, and it's really important that, that we do see how, how these things end up feeling. Whenever I say that we're in a majority-minority city, and I say that to, you know, one of my friends who's of color, they're like, shut up, where are we then? You know, we, we don't, we don't even don't get to see one another. Yeah, right. um, you know, and, and where you do, it's either at the Sheraton at a, you know, at a rented hall um, or in someone's house, right? So um, so I think that we, we do, if, if we want to actually do something different, then we have to act different. Okay. Uh, let me get this caller. Uh, Liza from Mansfield. Go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show, 89.7. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I am 23 years old. I, I grew up in Sudbury, Mass, 30 minutes west of Boston. And I just finished a nine-month road trip all around the U.S., exploring different cities and seeing what kind of things they had to offer somebody my age about to embark on a professional career. And I find Boston just to be so normal, so traditional and dull and very hard, like very um, concerned with its institutions and its traditions. And compared to places like Austin and Portland and Asheville, North Carolina, Mm. um, there's just so much life there. There's so much, exactly like you said, innovation and creativity and just weirdness. They really love just quirky weird things that are going on there and uh, Boston doesn't seem to value that at all. All right. And, well, you you're you're representing a lot of folks that uh Colin's been speaking about here and writing about. So, thank you very much for the call. Thanks so much. I want to read this Facebook comment from Maureen. I'm the mother of two 20-somethings. What Boston needs to do is provide well-paying jobs. It takes money to stay out until 4 a.m. if the bars are open, exclamation point, and to take cabs, go out to eat, and so on. There are other cities that have jobs, perhaps, minus the excitement factor, but but the income expenses ratio is more favorable. Jessica, you want to respond to that? Well, Boston is a very uh, expensive city, particularly in housing. Uh, The Greater Boston Housing Report Card um, for 2011 did find that Metro Boston has, I believe, the third highest rental markets. Um, We do also have, relatively speaking, higher higher wages um, than a lot of other cities. But um, again, it is very expensive uh, to live here. And Many young people, many house, households in general, are spending upwards of 35 percent, 50 percent of their income on rental prices. So um, that definitely is something to be concerned about here and everywhere. Although um, what we do see is that Boston does tend to have um, more opportunities or has fared somewhat be- <clears throat> excuse me, better than other cities and other regions throughout the recession. Um, hiring demand has been a little bit higher in Metro Boston than mm-hmm. in other metros across the U.S., and um, so it's, you know, it's not great anywhere, I think, but um, we are, you know, we do have more opportunities here in some cases, uh, particularly in education, healthcare, finance, which is kind of our wheelhouse of industries. So, And it's particularly important. It's, it's very good, as you said before, about those people who are most wanted, who mm-hmm. we want would want most want to stay in town. So right. there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jessica, for just making that point. And sure uh, uh, Janet, uh, go ahead, please. From Cambridge. Hi. Hi. Hi, Callie. Yes. Hi. You're my heroine. I listen to you every day. Oh, thank you. I you at the corner grocery. It was a big day. Um, I've been here since I came to college, and I'm listening to, with fascination to your program, as I always do. And I just want to inject one comment about Boston compared with Austin, San Francisco, or even Portland, Oregon. Weather. Mm-hmm. The weather. The weather here does turn people off. My brother went to Caltech instead of MIT because of the weather. All right. Well, Colin, but, but Colin's had a different experience of looking around. Colin, you, you, you say that that in, 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 in the whole scheme of things doesn't keep people. If you had the other stuff, that wouldn't keep people away. I don't think it has to. I mean, there are cities like uh, Oslo is an incredibly cool city and Copenhagen is like that and London and none of those places are – uh, are known for their weather. New York's climate is not that different from ours. Um, it, it, Chicago is is horrible. Worse. That's like the Arctic tundra up there. 
um, any of the Canadian cities that are very desirable, like Toronto or, or that. So, so it's it, the other stuff. It's it, look, of course it's everybody complains about the weather and nobody here does anything about it, <laughs> 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 or any place else for that matter. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna see that weather might uh, turn some people away, but again, it's the combination of all of. All of the stuff and, that, you know, that happens And, you know, if I go here. and talk to um, – make a point about the jobs because I think that is critical and we're all trying to – every city is trying to figure that out now. And when it comes to allowing small businesses to thrive, they are the real job creators, right? It's the small businesses mm, across America that, that keep people employed. It's not only the Googles, right? It's not only the, the Facebooks. If we can encourage those small businesses – and that's why our first program at Future Boston Alliance is going to be an accelerator program where we're going to help craftsmen and, you know, people – outside of tech and medical, we're going to help them start businesses because we believe it is that quirky jewelry store on the corner. If she can survive, that helps give a feeling to, to, to the city. Uh, Colin, you want to add to I that? I was going to say that it's one of, as you look at this, Boston is and has become over the years one of these super elite cities that if you're an awesome developer, if you're a biochemist, if you're a high-end banker, then there are massive opportunities here. If you're a little bit below that upper 5 or 10 percent of professionals, it's it's a harder road. And I think Malia's point about these other kinds of businesses, the food trucks, the retail trucks, making it easier for all kinds of small craftsmen to do things, those are creating opportunities that are accessible to people who didn't go to MIT or Harvard. All right. So uh, I note that there was a, a recent article about uh, something called nightclub apartheid here mm-hmm. in town. I just want to make a point that Philip Martin, who works here at WGBH, wrote a piece in 1998 about the exact same thing. So my point is this, with 30 <laughs> seconds left to go. Can Boston change or will we be here five years from now having the same conversation, Colin? We've been changing. So I think it's absolutely <laughs> possible. I think uh, to some extent, I feel like all I want is for the mayor to just keep following through on what he says he cares about and look at speed as well as distance covered. Okay. Uh, Jessica, can Boston change? Absolutely. I think when you look at who our future is in terms of the young people of our population, we have no choice but to change. Malia, last seconds. Boston can do whatever Boston decides to do because we are not only the first city, but we are the best city. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, that's good. I like, by the way, the last line of your video, which is something about the future is really us. Yep. The Uh, future is ours if we want it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all both so much, all of of you so much for this interesting conversation. And I hope that... Thank uh, you. Maybe this is the last time we have this one this time. (laughs) I've been uh, talking to Colin Kingsbury, a writer for Boston Magazine, Malia Lazu of the Future Boston Alliance, and Jessica Martin. She's with the Boston Foundation. And we've been talking about Boston and what the city has going for it and how far it needs to go to compete with other world-class cities. Thank you all. You can keep on top of the Callie Crossley Show at WGBH.org slash Callie Crossley. You can follow us on Twitter or become a fan of the Callie Crossley Show on Facebook. Today's show was engineered by Antonio Oliar, produced by Chelsea Murs, Will Roselip, and Abby Ruzica. We're a production of WGBH, Boston Public Radio.